take your Bibles tonight and turn to Galatians chapter 4 as we continue in our series, A Checklist of Assurance of Salvation. So we're looking through different things that ought to do one or two things. It ought to continually affirm and confirm to you that you know that you are a born-again believer. Or it ought to bring such a compiling body of evidence that it brings conviction to your heart that you are not a child of God and should put in your heart the desire to become his child. And so we're looking at a checklist of assurance of salvation in Galatians chapter 4. If you're there, let me show you by way of review what we've looked at so far. Uh, We've looked at the very first statement was, I know I'm saved because I have personally believed the truth of the gospel and have a relationship with Jesus Christ based on God's word. Number two, I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Number three, I know I'm saved because my relationship with the Bible has changed. Number four, I know I'm saved because my nature is changing, resulting in a changing lifestyle. And now tonight, I know I'm saved because I'm part of God's family. Look along with me in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 and going down through verse 7. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has set forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This whole concept of being part of the family of God is rife throughout the Scripture. Matter of fact, Jesus taught the disciples to pray, say it with me, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Remember when he was talking to the Pharisees and they say, We have Abraham to our father. And what did Jesus respond to that in John chapter 8? No, if Abraham were your father, you would believe me. And then what did Jesus say? Ye are of your father who? The devil. So you're either part of the family of God or you're either child of God or you're the child of the devil. So when we are born, Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is not saying he was the, his birth or conception was the result of an adulterous relationship. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I was born with a sin nature. We've all been born with a sin nature. For it's by one man, Adam, this is Romans 5, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, so that all have sinned. So into whose spiritual family were we born? God's or Satan's? Satan's. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, a sincere religious man, a Pharisee, in John chapter 3, he must be what? Born again. Of course, he was a little confused, Nicodemus was, and he said, how can I enter my mother's womb the second time and be born? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit, the Holy Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. So that when I repent of my sin and I repent of my unbelief, put my faith completely and only in the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, understanding he loves me, he died on the cross, he shed his blood on purpose specifically for me, he was buried and being God conquered death and rose again and loves me and ready to save me. And the moment I placed faith in him and called on him, he saved my soul. I was born again. Ephesians 2, 1, you hath he quickened which means made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin 
Okay? So I've been born again, so by my spiritual birth, I am part of that family. Cameron and Ivy are our natural children. They were born into our family. But, and we had families for families here, uh, we know that there's also a way to acquire family members, and that is through adoption. And we who are saved have also, Galatians chapter 4, received this adoption. Isn't that wonderful? In the Bible, when the Bible refers to Christians, it often refers to them as the brethren. So you see that this whole family uh, theme is through the scriptures. We're co-heirs with Christ, right? So, three main things that give me assurance that I am part of God's family. I know I'm saved because I'm part of God's family. Number one, I have peace with God and the peace of God. You see, before I was saved, God was not my heavenly father. Though he is my creator, the sustainer of my physical life, he is also my judge. Jesus said in John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned, what? Already. An unbeliever is condemned in this life to eternal death. Now, the sentence will be announced at the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20. But a person is already condemned in guilt before God. So that when a person dies, not having put their faith in Jesus Christ, what happens to them? They die and go to hell. When I'm born again, as Paul said to the Corinthian believers, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have eternal life. And I have peace with God. Because no longer do I view him as my judge, but my loving heavenly father. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, the Bible says this, For it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus, should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things unto himself, Jesus is God. He and the Father are one. We serve the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons of the one true God. But by him I say, whether there be things in earth or in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So I was meditating on this this week. Here are some thoughts that I had that I, I trust will be a help and an encouragement to you. Although I am in awe of God, I know that I am safe in my Father's presence and that he will protect me forever. What did Paul say in Romans 8? I'm persuaded. And he goes through a whole litany of things, a whole list. And at the very end, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, our God is quoted as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible even exemplifies this in the person of Jesus, the son. And in John chapter 13, loving his own, the Bible says he loved them unto the end. So although I am in awe of God, I know that I'm safe in my father's presence and that he will protect me forever. Number two, although this life is tumultuous, my fellowship with my heavenly father stabilizes me with his peace. That can be illustrated in the storm. 
on the sea. Remember when Jesus was sleeping in the boat and the disciples were bailing water and, and the boat was beginning to sink and they wake Jesus and they said, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus stands up and gives them a, a gentle rebuke and says, oh, ye have little faith. And he rebukes the winds and the waves and everything goes still. And the lesson wasn't that every time there was a storm, Jesus was going to calm the storm. The lesson is that when Jesus is in the boat with you, you are perfectly safe, no matter what the storm. And no matter the the tumultuous circumstances in which we find ourselves, whether it is within your family, your extended family, at work, in your neighborhood, in, in Georgia, in the United States, in the world, all the tumultuous things that are going on around us. By the way, there ought to be a distinction We are to be a peculiar people, not weird peculiar, all right? Although the Bible does say they're going to think it's strange that we don't run within the same excess of riot. But we ought to be a distinct people. And one of the distinct things ought to be that we have such a peace of God, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, that it is unnatural. And it is, it's supernatural. But when we know that we are part of the family of God, and we know He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and we're perfectly safe in His presence and that he is going to protect us, then in the midst of all the storms and tumultuous circumstances of this life, we walk with the Prince of Peace. And all this, though this life is filled with certainties, get this, the promises of my Father produces peace. Some of the greatest peace that the Spirit of God has ever ministered to my life were some of the most tumultuous times when I got on my knees and I prayed and I claimed the promises of God. Not to manipulate, but to cling to those promises, knowing that God is always true to his word. And that though I could not see what God was doing or how he was going to work through these circumstances or how he was going to come through this, whatever it was, that God, according to his promises, was going to fulfill those promises and be faithful and just praying the promises of God, just quoting the promises of God can bring through the ministry of the Holy Spirit a sweet peace in your soul. There's a little song, Why Worry When You Can Pray. And you know, we sometimes think, oh, that's so trite. Well, when you get in the deep valleys of life, And when, like Jonah, you say, I sunk to the bottom and the seaweed was wrapping around my head. And you pray. Because God, even in the depths of the sea, with seaweed wrapping around your head, has not forsaken you. And you claim his promises. And you put your trust in him. You can have peace. I have peace with God and the peace with God and the peace of God. What a sweet assurance. If you're saved, and you know you're part of the family of God, one of those evidences is, man, I've got peace with God. Am I in awe of God? Yes. Am I in reverence of God? Yes. But I don't fear the judgment of God because there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That ought to cause us to rejoice. And you know, folks, if God's taking care of my eternity, can't he take care of every circumstance of this life? And as we witness and we proclaim that God can forgive your sin, no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how wickedly you've sinned, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times to this point, maybe you've rejected the gospel. If you will come to Christ, he can and he will save. Then should not our lives 
also preach and God can take care of every other thing because compared to my eternity, everything else is minor. In comparison. Now remember this. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So there's nothing that concerns you. As minor and insignificant as it may appear to other people, if it's a big deal to you and a deep burden on your heart, then God cares. He feels it along with you. He knows. Specifically, our high priest is which person of the Trinity? The Son, Jesus Christ the Son. So, I have peace with God and the peace of God. Number two, I have a love for Christians. 1 John 2, 9 and 10. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. If a person says, I love God, but I can't stand all those hypocritical Christians. I don't even want to be around them. I'd rather serve, I'd rather worship God out in nature on my bass boat. Or in a deer stand in the woods. Or hiking to a waterfall. But I don't want to be around a bunch of Christians. You know what? That person's claim to love God and be walking with Him is false. Based on 1 John 2, 9 and 10. Because if you love God and you're part of His family, you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is evident. We're also commanded to. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Matter of fact, John says in 1 John, we are taught of God to love one another. Therefore, if you are a believer, God is teaching you and God is enabling you and God expects you to love your brother and sister in Christ. And there should be a new nature, natural love and affinity and affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That even as we looked at this morning would cause us to be willing to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ, serving our Lord, even if it means laying down our life for the brethren. John 13, 35, I they shall all men know that you're my disciples if you what? Have love one to another. Do you notice it doesn't say love for one another? Why do you think it says love one to another? Because it is an outward act of expression of that love through service, through giving, through prayer. You know what? Sometimes that includes loving confrontation, doesn't it? Farther than if man be overtaken and fought you as your spiritual restore such a one. Sometimes in love we confront. Hey, listen, you know, he that hateth his run spares the rod, right? But he that loveth his son chasteneth him betimes. And there's all, you know what? Faithful are the wounds of a what? Friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And there are times when we lovingly and humbly, having considered ourselves and prayerfully walking in the spirit, go to that brother or sister in Christ to confront or bring to their attention what that thing is that God's brought to our attention concerning their life. Not because we're trying to compare ourselves with them, not because of anything else other than that's what God commands. We want to please God. We love our brother or sister. We want them to be right with God. We want there to be unity within the body of Christ. So therefore, we need to, to love, have love to them by confronting them. Sometimes love to our brethren is to forgive them. And how Christ exemplified forgiveness in ephesians chapter 4 we were looking at how our life has been changed and is being changed in ephesians chapter 4 remember the put off put on be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that whole pattern that paul just gives all these practical applications through uh the last half of ephesians chapter 4 what what's verse 32 say and be ye kind 
one to another. Tender-hearted. The idea there is compassionate. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It's serving. It's giving. It's praying. It's confronting. It's forgiving. It means that I do what's right no matter what I feel. Jack Mount, an evangelist friend that had an impact on my life growing up, heard him preach often at the Bill Rice Ranch, said his definition of love, and I love it, it's great. He said, love is doing right. If I love God, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my command, love is doing right. If I love my wife, I'm going to do what's right. Am I not? Love is doing right. And on and on we could make that application. So, I, love, I have a love for Christians. I want to serve them, help meet their needs, weep with them, rejoice with them. It means I care, I'm not detached, and encourage them. I'm concerned about their spiritual welfare. I want to fellowship with them and share a life with them. I hope the only time you, you spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ at Berean is not just here at church or at church functions. And I know that's not true. I know that a lot of, a lot of times we'll get together and, and we'll do things, um, a, a fellowship outside of the context of church. Certainly there should be fellowship within the context of church, but it's wonderful to spend time as brothers and sisters in Christ and just want to fellowship and be together. Uh, we had such a wonderful time. Josh and Anna Dean were here uh, this week and some of you got to experience fellowship with them. We had the privilege of having them stay at our house for a couple of nights and we got to grab a little bit of time with them and just have some wonderful, sweet fellowship. And it was just such a refreshing blessing and encouragement to my heart. It's so enjoyable, isn't it? To be able to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then I want to team up with my church family and with my brothers and sisters in Christ, which goes beyond my church family. When Wayne Noggle was here with Family for Families, man, I tell you what, man, my heart resonated with that ministry. And when there are other ministries as well, like Obrea, Obrea Medical Clinic and, and the Wilds and other ministries that we, that we connect with. And, and, you know, I want to serve the Lord and I want to enable them to be able to serve the Lord. And us to work in concert for the glory of God and the furtherance of His kingdom. I want to team up with them and serve God, evangelize unbelievers, serve believers, worship together. And then here's the third one. Not only, number one, I have peace with God and the peace of God. Number two, I have a love for Christians. That is my brothers and sisters in Christ. I love my family. But then number three, God disciplines me as his child. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 7, these familiar verses. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth. What's the next word? Every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you, you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? I don't know where I heard this, but I like this statement. God doesn't spank the devil's children. If you claim to be saved and live in habitual sin, and the loving hand of God's stern discipline is not applied to you in chastening, your claim to being saved ought to be deeply questioned because God chastens every son. Why? Because every son and every daughter, we still have sinful flesh, do we not? And we struggle, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other. There's this battle going on. And God 
because all of us then choose to sin and some of us go into seasons of rebellion as his children when we do god chastens us in love every christian experiences the discipline of his or her heavenly father because god is as holy as he is loving and that's not a very popular message today but it's absolutely true God's discipline is not punishment or revenge. It is correction and instruction for our good and his glory. God's discipline of his children always draws them to them and does not drive them away. That's a powerful observation. As I was meditating on that this week, because who knows you better than you know yourself? God. God knows how to discipline you. I'll give a little illustration of my brothers and me. I won't bring my sister Jennifer into it, although she was not a perfect angel. Uh, but, but, but we boys could be a mess sometimes, right? I did not like spankings. So the looming discipline of spankings that would come if I disobeyed was motivation for me often to obey. But one of my brothers didn't care. I think to him, he had a goal to see if he could outlast my dad when it came to spankings. And my dad would wear him out for something. He'd go right back out and do it again. Dad would call him right back into the trailer and wear him out again. They'd pray, they'd hug, they'd go through scripture. I mean, every time, it, it goes something like this. And I, and, and I will hopefully not let slip which brother. <laughs> but he would say, my dad would say, son, maybe that'll help. Son, what did you do? Make him confess it. If we confess our sin, confess his omelagao to say the same thing. Okay? What did you do? Was it wrong? And does daddy love you or hate you? Yeah, daddy loves you. What's daddy have to do according to the Bible? Yeah, daddy has to discipline you. You have to learn that sin is painful and it's wrong and that there's a consequence. And then when dad would say these dreaded words, bend over and grab your ankles. I mean, literally, we had to bend over and grab our ankles. And dad took the wooden rod, it's about this long and this big around. No, it was about that big around and that long. And uh, we would get some swats. Uh, and then after that, uh, we would pray together. And we'd, we'd hug my dad. You know, we'd tell each other that we loved each other. And then it was over. But my one brother would go through that exact process time after time after time until maybe he got too sore for that day and then he finally quit. Another one of my brothers was interesting. Um, spankings faced him a little bit, not too much. But what really got him, my mom found out one day, was uh, finding him money and fines for his language. Now, back in the day, we got big money for our chores when we were kids, 50 cents. And there was one time when my mom said to him, because there were all these different offenses, she said, for every article of clothing that you don't pick up and put away or whatever the issue was, I'm going to charge you a nickel. And I'm going to write it down every time. And she did. And at the end of the week, he owed her five cents. 
And you know what? That was the last time that mom had a problem with that brother <laughs> because the financial consequence uh, seemed to really speak to him. It hurt a whole lot more than the spanking. You know what? If my dad is imperfect and my mom is imperfect as they are, had the discernment to realize our children respond to different disciplines because they knew us. How much more our perfect Heavenly Father, who not only is infinite in wisdom and knowledge, but knows how many hairs are on my head, which is a constantly changing number. He knows. Some of you studied martial arts. You know these things called pressure points? As you know, a pressure point can paralyze somebody, can drop them to their knees. I mean, just boom. And you know what? God knows where the pressure points are. And God knows exactly how to speak your language and discipline. And when God is disciplining you as his child, there's no mistaking, it's his discipline. He will discipline you and he knows how to discipline you. So that, because the purpose of discipline in love, again, it's not revenge and it's not punishment. What is it? It's correction for our good and his glory. And it draws us back to him. And there's one more part of this chastening. And that is God doesn't quit chastening and scourging until we respond. And you know what? When I repent, as a response to God's chastening, realize that God is lovingly getting my attention and these consequences and this discipline is for my good and his glory and that he loves me. When I repent and make things right with him, it's also a, another assurance. You know what? I am God's, God's son because he spanked me. He disciplined me. And there's a wonderful security in that. So, I know I'm saved because I'm part of God's family. I have peace with God and the peace of God. I love my Christian family. That is, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God disciplines me as his child because he is my heavenly father. And God doesn't spank the devil's children. God spanks his own children. So again, it is not my purpose going through here in this series to cause people to doubt their salvation. But as we've gone through the series, there should be an accumulative effect of more and more assurance of salvation if you've been struggling with it. Or it should be more and more an accumulation of evidence that you're not God's child so that you can repent and put your faith in Christ as Savior. And the other part of the purpose of going through this is so that when other believers are struggling with assurance of their salvation, you'll have a checklist where you can help them walk through these things so that they can understand either I need to trust Christ as my Savior or, hey, the Word of God says it. I've seen these things are true. What a wonderful assurance because Satan is the enemy. He's the one who causes confusion. He's the one who wants to cause doubt. God wants you to know. He wants you to have his peace. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may, say it with me, know. Let's say it a little louder. That ye may know. One more time, even louder. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow our, our heads and our hearts before you right now, we thank you that we have received the adoption of sons and daughters. That you, we love you because you first loved us. We were your enemies. We were running from you. Every one of us had turned to his own way, Isaiah 53. And yet, Father, you laid on your son the iniquity of us all. 
You sent your Holy Spirit into the world to convince of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And through the ministry of the Word of God, through the testimony and example of other believers, through the faithful preaching of the gospel or a gospel tract or other evangelistic outreach, we heard the gospel. The seed was planted. It was watered. And there came that day when we repented of our sin and our unbelief and understood in a very personal way that Jesus loves me, died and rose for me, and admitted my sin, called on Christ, trusting him to save me as he promised he would. What a wonderful day that was. And thank you, Lord, for all the different assurances of salvation that we find in your word. May this be a wonderful blessing and a balm to the weary soul that's been attacked by Satan to cause them to doubt. Oh, Lord, may there be an assurance of salvation if that person is truly born again so that they'll no longer be paralyzed to inactivity and not serving you, but that with an assurance that they are saved will be able to step forward and grow spiritually and serve you faithfully. And for those who might have a false profession and maybe even have lied to themselves to the point where they've almost come to believe that they're saved, may the Holy Spirit take the accumulation of all of this evidence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to lovingly convict and convince so that they can turn to Christ and truly from their heart believe on Him and receive them into their life as Lord and Savior. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. I'm just going to have Abby play through one stanza of a song and just give you time to thank God that you get to be a part of his family. And thank the Lord for a church family like Berean. Maybe stop and thank the Lord for brothers and sisters in Christ who have, have had a spiritual influence in you, whether it's a parent, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, some friend that was a believer that just came alongside you to help you. And let's just express right now, in the quietness of this moment, as Abby begins to play, our gratitude to the Lord for his goodness to us.